Well, hello and welcome to episode 487 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. In this week's pack show, we've got it all from a tail strike in Toronto. A TUI jet gets very delayed and a passenger stuck in a toilet as we do love a bit of toilet humour on PTUK. We'll hear from Armando about an incident in America, and we've got some entries for our book competition. In the military this week, we'll hear about an expensive incident with a torch and an explosive story about cakes. Uh, Back again this week, he's returned from the colonies and must surely have plenty to tell us about his travels. It is, of course, Sir Neville Bounds. I am, yes. And actually, nothing to report, really, um, which is I find incredible. Um, we were going to Portland last week, and uh, very cold it was, 2 minus 12 uh, degrees, and um, lots of ice storms, which we missed most of, but walking out there was not a lot of fun, I have to say. But a great flight on the 787-8 uh, of BA in both directions, lovely, and nothing went wrong. Unbelievable. That's never happened to me on a flight for ages. So, um, yes, it was very good. And a great aircraft. I like the Dreamliner. So, uh, yes, happy to be back. Well, just for a few days. Then I'm off to Barcelona on Sunday for a week because uh, we've got a big show that we're doing over there where it'll be warmer, I'm pleased to say. So that's my travels so far. So you had fun uh, fun with the BA boys this time, Nev. You had a, you had a nice little surprise as well, didn't you? I on did, the, yes. On they the gave airplane. me a... Well, I mentioned that I was... Because I mentioned the podcast, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to be, you know, retire next year at some point, so I'll have some more time." So they very kindly gave me a card which says, "From us to you in all life's journeys," and it's and the the crew signed it, and it says, "To Mr. Bounds, wishing you a very happy retirement a year early, your BA two six six crew PDX to LHR nineteenth of the first twenty twenty four, Golf Zulu Bravo Juliet India uh, India." So uh, that was nice, wasn't it? And they gave me a bottle of champagne as well. How about that? So it was very, very nice of them. Very nice of them indeed. Um, So, um, yeah, thanks to uh, Tom, who was the cabin crew lead on that flight coming back. And hopefully we may have gained a new listener because I gave Tom a business card as well. Oh, excellent! Well done. I'm glad you had a good uh, good trip, Nev. I'm, I'm guessing the uh, flight was unhindered, and uh, the food was astounding, and and you had your usual yeah, seat. Yeah, we missed all that really bad weather, so we we got a nice, uh, you know, um, short flight coming back from Portland, uh, but very very smooth, I must say, in in both directions. Hardly a, a wobble of the champagne, so that was great. So. We've got uh, no Armando this week, as we said, but he has got a video coming up later on for the, one of the stories we're covering this week. Uh, Matt is, as you can probably guess, because I'm sitting here in the studio, Matt is away this week. He's on his way. He's actually on his way to an airport, funny enough. He's on his way to Stansted to go and pick uh, Mama Smith up uh, on her return from Dublin, uh, where me and Nev are heading uh, not too uh, distant future, aren't we, Nev? More mm, on that yes. later. Uh, but we have uh, got our, uh, well, our kind of... Uh, the guy who does a lot of work in the background during the week when we're we're all busy working away, and uh, welcome back, Nick. Good to see you on the show again. Hi, Carlos. Good to good to be here. I thought I'd uh, just come and keep an eye on you. Uh, you know what with Matt being away, uh, you know things things uh, 
don't always run as as nicely as they could do when Matt's around, <laughs> do they? And uh, you know, we, we we do we do miss Matt being around. We'll stop your stop your uh, payments through. I think Nick after that. Yeah, I need yeah. to speak to HR about that. That's mm. been some some irregularities. But no, good to see you on. But we have got uh, we've got a guest on this week. We have we've got a guest on this week again, and uh, we've uh, well, it's safe to say that I think he's he's very much part of the furniture here on PGUK. He seems to uh, loiter quite heavily on the show, but we love and it. I never get paid. But we love it because we love to see him. <laughs> it's of course Andy. Andy, good to see you. Good evening. Happy New Year. It's been a long while since the last last one was Christmas show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Christmas show. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. Nice to see you all. Thanks for having us again. A busy time for you, Andy. You've been uh, flying much or uh, Um, have you been still still office-based? I've done one trip out. I went out to um, Baal um, just before Christmas. It's in northern Switzerland on the German border. Lovely place. Uh, It was the only place that wasn't fog-bound that day as well, which was very nice. Uh, but no, I've been spending my time in Gatwick or here in the office or out in Milan. Um, got a busy few weeks coming up as I get ready for the next uh, sim module. So I'm testing a lot. I'm going down to Gatwick in a week and a half to spend three days in the simulator testing out ideas, which would be good fun. But yeah, all good. Blimey. That's something that, um, that, uh, that we need to brush up on, Nev, is... Uh... Some sim training ready for uh, a special thing that's coming up soon for us. Yes, I'm a bit worried about the uh, the captain that's going to be critiquing us as well. But, uh, <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll talk about that later on. Yes, perhaps we, we better, yeah. Uh, going to say hello to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Going to say hello to top of the list hobby timers in there nice and early. Hello to you. Our local listener, Mazus. Good to see you in there as well. Mazus Karim, good to see you. Uh, Flyer152 is also in there. Hello to you. Captain Cruise. Wouldn't be the chat room without Captain Cruz in there. Richard Adams as well. Great to see you in there, Richard. He's got a, a he's got a beer on the go. Well, that's what the icon says next to his name there with a the beer. Uh, good to see you in there. We have got as well Dirk S. Hello, Dirk. Uh, the lovely Tanya. Hello, Tanya. Great to see you in there. Uh, Ian. Hello to you as well. Good to see you in there. Bill. Bill's tuned in. He's he's ready to rock and roll this evening. Uh, the lovely Mash is also in there as well. Hope uh, you're enjoying this uh, more warmer weather, Masha. I think you've got the similar weather to us at the moment. Uh, Mike's also in there as well. Good to see you, Mike. He is uh, in Missouri. Oh, blimey, he's a few miles away from us here. Uh, Good to see you in the chat room. We've got, uh, let me make sure I don't miss anyone else. Neil Landwarn's in there. Hello, Neil. Great to see you in there as well, as always, Neil. And, uh, And welcome one and all to uh, our new slot on Wednesday nights here where we do the live show on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on YouTube each week. Don't forget if you are listening to us on the audio podcast as I know a lot of you guys and girls do uh, don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Give us a follow and a a like while you're there as well and uh, yeah we are live every week here on YouTube at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night instead of a Friday. Uh, We've got a pack show, as we said, to get through. Nev's going to pull the winner of the book out of his hat this week. He's got all the names ready to rock and roll, haven't you, Nev? Yes, and I've got a new quiz question for this coming week as well. And a very interesting prize, a different prize this week. A different prize? Not a book. 
Oh, something else. Blimey. More on that later. Thank right, you. so if all the team is ready, we've got loads of great news stories to go through this week. Uh, so if all the team is ready, yeah. we'll do some commercial news. Off we go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Now, this first news story, I'm looking forward to Andy's breakdown on this once I've read the story. This happened this week on the news. Made quite a bit of uh, patter on social media, actually, with uh, pictures and stuff. Uh, this is a French A350 suffers tail strike on landing in Toronto. This comes from the aviationsourcenews.com. So an a Airbus A350, an Air France one, suffered a tail strike uh, while uh, landing at Toronto on Sunday, the 21st of January this year. Uh, the Air France A350-900 had been operating the long-haul flight uh, AF356 from Paris Charles de Gaulle to Toronto Pearson International Airport when the landing incident occurred. Following an approach to runway 24 left, the wide-body aircraft bounced on touchdown and the aircraft tail assembly subsequently made contact with the runway surface during the landing flare. Following the tail strike, the flight crew initiated a go-around procedure and repositioned for a further approach to runway 24 left. The flight subsequently landed from the second attempt without further incident and no injuries were reported amongst the complement of passengers and crew uh, during the first landing attempt. However, the aircraft sustained substantial fuselage damage as a result of the impact. Photographs taken by an observer show the extent of the contact made by the aircraft's tailplane assembly following the bounced landing. The aircraft involved in the incident was an A350-900, as we said, registration Foxtrot Hotel Tango Yankee Hotel, a two-year-old wide-body aircraft belonging to the French national carrier. Now, what do we think uh, happened here? I'm just going to uh, pop some video up on the screen uh, while uh, Andy tells you all about what happened here, Andy. Well, I'd had a tail strike. <laughs> um, yeah, where is this video? Is this the video? Of a, I'm just um, going uh, to run here. That's the uh, one of the pictures that was taken by a photographer, I think that was. Really good picture, actually. Shows, yeah, quite a sparking in the improvement there uh safe to say some oh, definite yeah. paint removal there from uh well that's the apu exhaust isn't it andy and uh it is yeah and they've, they've given it a real good scrape um i'm just going to run the vid video here we go we'll run the video yeah. so i'm not sure if they actually touch down um at this point but they definitely they go to initiate a go around and it looks to me like they're just over rotated because the aircraft, the Airbus flight control system handles differently in um, ground mode flight mode. It's basically a direct law, so it's direct stick to pitch input instead of uh, load factor, which is in flight mode. So it looks like they just got a bit carried away with the stick uh, in pitch, and that's what caused the tail strike, unfortunately. There's no protection for it. It can happen. It's quite an unfortunate incident, really. What would the aircraft have on on the display, Andy, in in terms of giving you a kind of an an angle indicator? Is that something that you would generally keep an eye on during um, the flare? During the flare, definitely. Uh, in the three twenty, 
if the pitch is above seven or eight degrees i think it is then it, we should call out pitch to to the pilot flying just to remind them you need to derotate a, a little bit more but in this case in the ground you can also see in ground mode there's a little crosshair on the um on the pfd which actually shows the side stick position so it gives a clear indication of how far aft forward or left and right that the stick has been moved but again you're looking out you should be looking outside visually at this point um not looking to over rotate the aircraft and the rate at which you're rotating it seems to me yeah, that they, they may have touched down slightly gone to initiate the go around and again because it acts like a conventional aircraft with the thrust on you're going to get a, a nose up um um reaction as well so you've got to be really careful in some cases if you do a balk landing which is what this was essentially you you may have to pitch forward so they may have just gone into sort of go around mode of immediately pitching back but it might have been more appropriate to reduce the attitude get climbing away from the ground and then go into a go around attitude the other thing is with this of course at the end of a long flight with uh, fairly lightweight and an all-engine go-around. From those uh, engines, you've got a lot of power there, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of thrust. Yeah. I'm just actually looking. There's these a aircraft, Andy, I, I don't know if, got... the, if the A3 um, or, if, or the Airbus or the Boeing, I, I'm sure I've seen it on aircraft. Don't they have kind of some sort of bump stop on the tail of the aircraft to sort of negate these kind of situations happening, or is that something that's fitted to certain aircraft? I think it's fitted to certain aircraft. The 320 family certainly doesn't have it. Um, I know the 76 does, the 7, the 777 does. Um, I don't think the 747 has it. I think it all depends on what the manufacturer thinks necessary. Hmm. Perhaps they should equip uh, Air France aircraft with a fourth wheel like they had on Concorde. <laughs> Concorde, yeah. For the Air France uh, crews. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just expecting comments now and um, things <laughs> like that. Emails coming in. But um, there have been, there's been a bit of previous form, not for this sort of thing, but other mm. incidents, hasn't there? So Yeah, I um, think it, this is probably going to be a case of check over and uh, repaint and back in the air, but it's going um, to be out of the mix for a while, I'd imagine, Andy. Uh, yeah, uh, and just here's something from the 320. I thought I'd look it up while I was here. There is in rotation mode on the Neo aircraft, there is um, it built in uh, into the software. It's a it's a rate demand in norm in ground modes. Like I said, it's direct input. But there is tail strike protection, and there's just a little line in the FCOM that says the flight crew can override this. So you, there's nothing to stop you from actually hitting the tail in the 320, which has happened. So I don't know if that's the same on the uh, 350 or not. Hmm. Still a slap wrist though from the um, chief pole chief pilot Andy. Yeah, yeah. Nev, you've got the next one, and uh, I think this story is definitely about an airport that you you know fairly well. I seem to spend an awful lot of time at this airport. Yeah, it's on the dailyrecord.co.uk, and it says that Edinburgh Airport has been quietly sold off in a £9.8 billion deal. 
have to say that doesn't seem very much money for, for what it all is. But anyway, um, it says that uh, the airport's been snapped up by US bankers alongside a collection of companies in a multi-billion pound deal. Fund manager BlackRock has bought global infrastructure partners whose assets include the Capital Airport along with Gatwick Airport and ports around Scotland in this deal uh, and as the guardian reported larry fink 71 chairman and ceo of blackrock said infrastructure is one of the most exciting long-term investment opportunities policymakers are only just beginning to implement once in a generation financial incentives for new infrastructure technologies and product uh, projects uh, the sale comes after customers uh, customer numbers at edinburgh airport rebounded to near pre-pandemic levels in the first half of last year uh, the airport itself has continued continued its strong recovery uh, following the end of COVID-19 and passenger numbers for the six months ending 30th of June 2023 were 6.6 .6 million which is 93% of the equivalent period in 2019. Revenue for the six months to June 2023 was 119 million pounds which is a 15% uh, increase on the equivalent period in 2019. Uh, now, I must say, I'm always very impressed with the airport, especially the security bit, because I, I don't often, you know, praise um, the security checking part of it all, but they do a really good job there, and I think they must be on some, some sort of bonus to get people through as quickly as they can, because they are extremely efficient, I must say. Now, it can be a bit busy there sometimes, but even what it is, uh, it seems to run pretty well, I have to say. Um, so um, the only time it did go a bit wrong was when we had those those shortages of staff um, earlier last year. But actually now it's, it's working really well. And uh, I must say, I do like using the airport, but it has become very busy indeed, especially in the main concourse now. But uh, no, good, good news. If there's more, uh, more investment going into it, so much the better. You, you've Nev. been travelling from there for so long, Nev. Have you noticed an increase in, in passenger throughput? Through oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I started flying there in 1985 for work um, on the BA 757 shuttles up from Heathrow. Hmm. Uh, and there was, a, there was a few sort of holiday destinations, but you've got Emirates flying in and out of there now. You've got uh, Air Canada uh, United and some fairly heavy metal g going in and out of Edinburgh now as well. So um, it's it's a good option for those people that want to go to the uh, to North America or to the Middle East as well on on certain flights and routes. So yeah, it's good. Nev, do you find security in there like uh, queuing for a Disney ride? Because I, I find when I go through there, you never know which one of the lanes you're actually going to because it snakes up and down around. The next thing you go around a corner that you didn't see before, and then there's another corner, and then suddenly you're at your um, security point. Yes, well, I don't go in that queue, obviously, where, where the great unwashed are. Um, I, no, you I, join I, it halfway down. That's the only advantage you get with your, your flash card. Actually, they have improved that very recently, and just in the last couple of months, in fact. Um, and what they've done is that uh, you, you can actually, with the, the fast track area, you can actually get quite all, all the way down to the end of the queue now uh, but then it, it does merge at the end and we have to do this sort of standoff where we're waiting whether the, to see whether the, the the regular passengers are going to go first or we're going to go first or, or whatever but uh, regular passengers sorry that sounded very pretentious didn't it <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to um so but um no they have done quite a good job of that i must say the only thing now this is going to be 
massively controversial. I don't, I, I don't even know if I can say it actually. Um, well, you need to have a rant at some point. Um, PA announcements at the gates. The PA system leaves a bit to be desired anyway, but the people that use the PA system insist on shouting at it, down it, and the cacophony of sound in this highly reverberant space, with some passengers that may not be familiar with the Edinburgh accent, um, especially those where English is not their first language, um, is a bit ridiculous. They need to just calm it down a bit and and stop shrieking quite so much, I would say. And I, I apologise to so many of my friends and customers who are from north of the border, but I'm sure you know what I mean, because you've been there as well, haven't you? So, Just a thought. Yeah. My accent's bad enough as it is. Well, I'm bringing up uh, 888 on the subtitles to understand what you're saying half the time. <laughs> That's a very old school <laughs> reference. <laughs> oh, very good. Going to say um, a quick hello as well to uh, Oscar who's joined us in the chat room uh, this evening and also to Andy as well from Airliners Live. Hello, Andy. Good to see you in there uh, from Airliners Live and uh, congratulations again to you guys for reaching a million Honestly, you lot, you guys do a, such a superb job, and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I do spend a little bit of time watching the live stream when I'm on my dinner break. I will say, that's all I'm going to say on the matter. Uh, so next up, Andy, you've got uh, the next story on the list here, and uh, yeah. we're heading over to Japan. Yeah, so this story, it's a former flight attendant named as first female president of Japan Airlines. Uh, Japan Airlines has named its first female president, a former cabin attendant who rose through the ranks to senior management, taking a deeply symbolic step in a country struggling to close a vast gender gap at work. Mitsuko Totori, who began her career as a cabin attendant at JAL in 1985, has been named the first female president of the airline, making a significant move towards gender equality in Japan's workforce. Her promotion is seen as a catalyst for change in a country with a significant gender pay gap. The appointment coincides with JAL's recovery efforts following the pandemic and uh, recent safety concerns highlighted by a collision between a JAL plane and a Coast Guard aircraft. Totori brings extensive safety and service experience to the role. The 59-year-old has held positions that influence the development of JAL safety procedures and brand identity. She oversaw the carrier's cabin safety division as a senior manager, and later on she also led departments such as the cabin attendant department and customer service and even in charge of brand communication. JAL's aim for women to constitute 30% of its managers. Uh, sorry, JAL aims for women to constitute 30% of its managerial positions by March 2026. By the end of March 23, the corresponding figure was 22.8%. The outgoing president, Yuki Akasaka, will transition to chairperson and current chairman, uh, Yoshihari Ueki, is set to retire in April. There we go. You give me the difficult names Say every that time, after a um, trip to your bar, Andy. I know. It's a good job I'm not in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think? It's good news. Yeah, about time. Mm. About time some uh, different people doing these uh, senior jobs and uh, women uh, especially. So that's, that's uh, great news, isn't it? No, very, very good yeah. to hear. You know, it's one of those airlines, you know, that is, is, I've never flown with Japan Airlines. and I'd love to tr see what they're like. I really would. Mm. It's, I think it's always good to have somebody who has actually got experience of working on the 
front line because they know they know how the, an airline works. A lot of CEOs or presidents um, have no idea what goes on uh, on board an aircraft and how difficult it can be at times. So this is really good. So moving on to the next story, and uh, Nick, you've got this next one, and I think most of us hate a delay when we're flying anywhere within Europe or the world or any flight at all. You hate a delay, but this this particular flight had a a hefty delay should we say yeah and then some um i actually thought when i first saw the headline it was a mistake um it really caught my eye uh so it comes from simpleflying.com and the headline is after 60 60 hours and three diversions two passengers finally make it to madeira uh, so two passengers have finally arrived in madeira around 60 hours after setting off from manchester their unwanted odyssey became the most watched flight on tracking websites over the weekend. Uh, flight BY2536 departed Manchester Airport at 0848 on Friday morning en route to Madeira. However, due to bad weather, the aircraft could not land that day, diverting to Porto Santo Airport PXO overnight. Um, the next day, the aircraft took off from Madeira but poor weather would again foil attempts to land, so the flight diverted to Tenerife South Airport. After sitting on the apron for around four hours, the flight again attempted to land at Madeira, but was unable to land. Um, and on this occasion, the aircraft was in the air for over three hours, repeatedly circling Madeira before returning to Tenerife overnight. The flight eventually landed in Madeira the next day, Sunday uh, at 21.26 flight was operated by a 10-year-old Boeing 737-800, seating 189 passengers. Passengers expecting to arrive in Madeira around lunchtime on Friday instead found themselves spending two nights in airport hotels, along with several hours a day sitting on an aircraft or in an airport, which some of us might enjoy, but uh, mm. yeah, I can see how that might be a bit annoying. Uh, according to ex-user Emily James, her parents, who were on the flight, eventually decided they didn't want to fly anymore, but the airline was insistent that they continue to Madeira. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, the Madeira Funchal Airport is one of the more difficult ones to land at globally, with flight crews needing additional training to land there. Weather conditions are highly unpredictable, particularly the variable wind conditions on approach. While other aircraft were seen to land at the airport as the TUI flight circled, the TUI's pilot decided it would not be safe to do so. So, Andy, I was just wondering if you've ever flown in there and uh, if you could uh, tell us of any of your, your experiences about it. What makes it so dodgy? Yes, well, I have flown in there. Um, and it's true what they say. So, this airport is stuck on a little bit of land jutting off the side of a rock, essentially. So the runway's built on stilts, isn't it? Yeah, the extension was. Um, it's a very, very tricky place. So before you can go there, the captains have to be qualified in the simulator first. Then it's a check ride with a training captain. Um, and there are many, many procedures here. Wind limits. There's actually quadrants around the airfield uh, for wind. So... A certain direction you can have, say, gusting up at 25 knots. Another area you can only have gusting up at 15 knots. And the wind changes direction so rapid on this island. There are wind socks dotted all around the approach that you can actually see. 
or they used to be, it's been a long while since I've been out there, and you can actually have, as you start the approach, the wind coming from 180 degrees to what it's actually doing um, on the runway end, and then as you turn, especially for runway 05, there's uh, a valley in between the rock, and the wind quite often uh, rolls through there, and you can get quite a lot of wind shear as well. So looking at this, my guess is the wind was probably out of the limits to commence the approach um, several times here, which is why they held so much. Uh, I can understand why they originally went to Porto Santo, which is a tiny island north of Madeira. It's got a it's got a runway decent enough to land most things on, but the airport's tiny. The facilities in the airport are just about non-existent. But it is a long flight from Manchester to there, so you, you can take as much fuel as you can to get in. Um, but then the next day, they decide to divert to Tenerife, which is, again, a sensible option. I always take Tenerife fuel if I can, uh, going down there. And again, they were just doing what you'd expect from any flight crew. If it's not safe, they're not going to try. They filled the tanks up uh, here from Tenerife to go and have multiple hours of holding just to see if they could get in. But unfortunately, they end up back in Tenerife and then got in again the next day. I mean, that's quite an adventure for everybody involved. And it can get quite hairy on that approach. I've I've had it where I've been hitting the stops in all directions on the side stick just to try and keep the thing going in the right direction. And it's just all about deciding when to give up and go around and try again later. Wow. So I guess with the... Because you've got quite big terrain, haven't you, off to the side? Yeah. Um, so you're kind of getting a downdraft off of that. And, and I guess where the, the runway itself is kind of on an elevated platform, that in itself probably generates kind of weird turbulence get, as well. Yep, you get lift as you come over the threshold. There's quite a few videos out there of people, you can see they come over the threshold and soon there's a big lift, the nose goes down and they're trying to pitch back up again and they start pour poison and then just bin it or in some cases, like Air Portugal, they just keep going and land and give it, <laughs> just take it on the chin. But um, yeah, it, it's a... That airport will always, on the flight data monitoring, will always give red flags and they have to manually in most airlines go in and bin the data because they know that is just how it is in Madeira um, so it's not unusual for it to be very tricky mm. presumably when you're landing on zero five that big right hand arc the, a lot of the key to it presumably is early configuration of the aircraft you know gear oh, you're, you're, conf you're configured as you come there's the peninsula to the east of the airport as you're coming across there, you're like, you gear down, you're in nearly land and flap. You're, you've slowed it right down to give you the best opportunity to make that turn uh, nice and tidy. I mean, you can spend a lot of time going around that turn just fighting with the aircraft. Mm. So what's the what's that checkout procedure then, Andy, in terms of sort of getting qualified? And how, how does that work from a kind of regulatory point of view? Because, you know, you sort of hear about these captains only landing Airfields, yeah, but, uh... so um, I'm not, I can't really remember what the procedure is for Madeira, but I believe, if I think it's like Innsbruck, where every captain has to be given like an authorization number from, so in this case, it'd be the Portuguese Civil Aviation Authority. They'd have to have the training record sign that they've done it in the simulator, and the simulator is mainly for the visual picture and look out for this and what to look for. Like there's a banana factory on one corner, you can use that for the turn. Now that we've got an RNAV approach in there, you can mainly let the machine do it. In the past, it used to have to be all visually flown. Now you've got an RNAV uh, that basically takes you all the way around to the runway, so you can just let it get on with it. 
but then then the check ride with uh, an experienced training captain who knows the place as well again it's more it's more holding your hand just to go right this is what we do this is how we do it this is what to look out for now you're on your own crack on but you can't go there with no train you you wouldn't consider say you were coming back from Tenerife up to Gatwick or something and you had a medical issue or something like that you wouldn't consider going into Madeira you'd go somewhere else you you know you've got to be qualified to go and give that place a go wow. Uh, Pip in the chat room says he's done the exact same thing a few years ago. He said, couldn't get into Madeira, held for 90 minutes and eventually diverted to Port Santos. Spent the night there and then got in the next day to Madeira. Yeah, and like he says, that in his case, the odd thing was it was getting worse in Port Santos, but there are no limits on the wind there, as there are at Madeira. So that, it's normally the wind limits at Madeira that, that make it prohibitive to get in. So, how many times would you would you try and do that approach in the sim? Is it a uh, case of you just kind of keep doing it until you get good at it, or? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a whole sort of training package of doing it in different winds and turbulence intensities and right. stuff like that. Again, it's just to get you used to this is what it looks like, this is what it shouldn't look like, etc. Well, I suppose when the visibility and the weather is is bad, although not not bad that you can't land, but I suppose when the visibility and the weather is bad, that makes it even more of a attractive approach Andy attractive well a less attractive approach <laughs> yeah, less attractive don't give it a yeah. go yeah just give up just go somewhere else go somewhere else yeah so and if passengers do want to get off they can there's a plug door just um they can... say they didn't want to leave Tenerife that that's fine uh they can stay there but they, then they're on their own then uh, just it means there's security procedures involved, etc., that have got to be done. But yeah, it's, it's fine. If you really don't want to fly, then okay, I'll let you get off. I always want to fly. I know you do. <laughs> just rather on the flight deck, not the sitting at the back. Anyway. Is that one for your home sim then, Carlos? <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny you say that, Nick, because um, I'm going to be digging it all out this weekend and having a little day um, in the sim. I'm, I'm, I'm going to plumb that in now i'm now i've moved on to microsoft flight sim um i'm gonna plumb that in this weekend and and give it a go i'll put real weather on as well i'll use the real weather setting on on the um sim and see how i get on we'll see i, w I won't let you know <laughs> anyway moving <laughs> on next story um airline live or airlive.net i should say uh, this one is. This made the social medias as well this week in quite uh, a heavy dose. Uh, this is flames seen shooting out of an Atlas Air Boeing 787-8 flying over Miami. This was uh, Atlas Air Flight 5 Yankee 95 from Miami uh, to San Juan. Suffered engine issues and visible flames after a taking off from Miami International Airport. Uh, the 747-8. Uh, November 859 Golf Tango returned for a safe landing on runway 9 of Miami and a Miami airport spokesperson confirmed uh, to, to Newsweek that the Atlas Air flight landed safely at Miami airport uh, after just after 11pm local time. Uh, the aircraft... Uh, the Dash 8, according to Flight Aware, followed, uh, the crew followed all standard procedures and returned safely to MIA, the company said in a statement. Uh, the flight took off from Miami Airport at half ten uh, in the evening uh, Eastern Time and had been heading to Louis Mon Mon Monos Marin International Airport in Puerto Rico. 
Armando would say that's so much more better. Uh, when it was diverted, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue responded. No injuries, as we said, were reported. Um, Miami International Airport said in a separate statement to Reuters that the FAA reported uh, the aircraft, uh, they said, departed, experienced a number two engine failure, returned to land. Post-flight inspection revealed a softball-sized hole above engine number two. And there is a picture of this online, actually. I don't know whether we can get it on here or not, but um, and video as well. But uh, we'll uh, run the video on on this one. I don't know whether you may have seen this one. Uh, this done the rounds, as I said, on social media. Here we go. For those of you watching in the world of YouTube. Oh, my God. It's on fire. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's on fire. Mom. And we can see, well, flames emitting from that engine. In, pu in quite big puffs, actually, flames. Quite a big lot of flames. Yeah, it certainly looks like it's ejecting a fair quantity of its insides. Of its insides. <laughs> actually got um, got uh, a few people on uh, social media commenting on that about what could have gone wrong and stuff but um, yeah I think um, I mean we spoke to well, I spoke to John Jester one of our good friends of the show on on uh, on whatsapp over the weekend and he did say that uh, it was a case of the engine just it had enough it decided yep. to uh, to eject its internal parts, and that was it. I think the case here, Andy, is that they'd got another three engines to um, to utilise after that one went. Whereas, obviously, things would be slightly different for you uh, in a twin engine. Yeah, it's a little less pressing when you've got three remaining. You've only lost twenty five percent of your power. I mean, still, if you lose one engine on a twin engine aircraft, you've still got plenty of available thrust in uh, the remaining engine. But these guys did a great job. Nice little. Uh, circuit out back to land great work if that had been ba they'd have been straight across the north atlantic from los angeles <laughs> wouldn't they well, then we know what yeah. happened there shut it down <laughs> crack on yes although i mean presumably there's a lot of stuff coming out the back of the engine there so that might have affected some of the flight surfaces that you don't really know do you so uh, no exactly you don't want to take chances no. or risks with no. something like that it's best get it on the ground and let the experts have a look at it yeah now nev you got the next story, and uh, it's a situation I think that you would not be too impressed by. No, it's uh, well, let's read it out. It's on the IndianExpress.com. Um, it says SpiceJet passenger locked inside toilet for entire flight. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, SpiceJet flight uh, SG268 from Mumbai uh, to Bengaluru, uh, Bengaluru. Uh, a male passenger was trapped in the toilet due to a malfunctioning door lock for over an hour. Despite attempts by the crew and fellow passengers, the door could not be opened. With the passenger panicking, the crew slid a note under the door. Sir, we tried our best to open the door. However, we could not. Do not panic. We are landing in a few minutes, so please close the commode lid and sit on it and secure yourself. Could I just point out there is no seatbelt in the toilet, so I don't know how they could do that. Uh, as soon as the main door is open, an engineer will come, a note penned by one of the air hostesses said. Uh, well, the, the door remains shut until engineers at... Uh, Kempler Gouda International Airport forced it open after landing. SpiceJet had confirmed the incident, extended an apology, and offered the affected passenger a full refund. 
the airline's crew provided reassurance and instructions to the passenger during the ordeal and immediate medical support was given after the rescue. Uh, SpiceJet has expressed regret for the distress caused. Um. I must say, I was close to this on an Air New Zealand 747-400 going from Heathrow to uh, Los Angeles many years ago. And um, I could not open the door to get out. And I thought, clearly I'm doing it wrongly. I'm, I'm not going to panic. I, it took me six or seven minutes um, to get out. And because I was upstairs on this um, uh, jumbo, uh, th there was not a lot of people around. So I think the, the crew were down the other end of the aircraft looking after passengers there. But so I was concerned at one point. Of course, that would have been a, a 10 hour problem not a one-hour problem um but uh, no i managed this to uh, to open it in the end but i'm just going to pop that picture up on the screen again this happened to me there as we well Did it? very recently yeah fortunately I, I was operating crew as well but it happened on the ground um, oh, okay in our rear toilets the middle one it's very very small very narrow well like that one and i i've never felt it looked quite like that and i've never felt claustrophobic in my life until this point um and you can see on the outside, it has a dead bolt that goes up. And I unlocked it, and the bolt didn't move. Oh. Uh, and I tried everything, and it got to the point where I had to actually kick the door down to get out. <laughs> and then, and 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 then, um, I don't think there is a secondary way to remove this particular door. Well, yeah, this, I, I used the secondary way. I removed it with my feet, um, and it was. It, it was it was awful, but I did then in-op it and put it in the tech log as uh, out of service. Ian makes a good point in the chat room, actually. It's better to be locked in than locked out from using the toilet, because that would cause... Mm. Yes. You know. It depends what you were planning to do in the toilet, I suppose. Mm. Well, this is the point, isn't it? I mean, some of these toilets, as you point out, Andy, are, are a bit on the uh, small side. So you've, you've really got to decide what you're going to be doing before you go in because the option to change your mind uh, you know wouldn't really exist because of the uh, limitations of the um, the size of the uh, it, it can be difficult to change direction in there yes i bet he wish you'd have took some snacks with him before he went in <laughs> oh, dear. you know oh. Oh, dear. anyway andy <laughs> you can yes. take the next story yes uh, this one's uh, from the bbc uh, this is airport scanner delay will prolong that 100 milliliter liquid ban. Uh, several of the UK's largest airports, including Heathrow, Gatwick and Manchester, are unlikely, shock, to meet the government's June 24 deadline to install new CT X-ray security scanners that would eliminate the current 100 milliliter liquid limit in hand luggage. The rules requiring liquid items to be taken through security in containers of 100 millilitres or less and put in a clear plastic bag were introduced oh, all the way back in 2006 after a bomb plot uh, on a transatlantic I can't speak tonight on a transatlantic flight was foiled. Airports were originally told to bring in new scanners by 2022 before the deadline was moved to June this year. The anticipated delay may cause confusion and security delays during the busy summer holiday season as travellers may find inconsistent liquid rules across different airports. Well, it's like that now. 
Um, trials for the new scanners began in 2018, and while some airports like Teesside and London City Airport have completed their installations, others face challenges such as the need for structural reinforcement and training requirements. Uh, the Department for Transport has suggested it might allow extensions for installations and has not ruled out penalties for missed deadlines. Travel experts and associations are advising passengers to check the liquid rules at both their departure and arrival airports due to the potential discrepancies that might arise from this transition period. The DFT maintains that the new scanners will enhance the UK's already robust aviation security and improve the passenger experience. Now, I've experienced this where you don't have to take stuff out of your bag. as in Milan. It's brilliant. You just just put it on it feels a little bit weird as well because you're like you're so used to mm. having to strip everything down but it is quite nice just to lob everything on the scanner and go through like the old days yes i must say that the the boys and girls at london city airport are, it it doesn't really work properly i don't think well maybe it is working but you get shouted at by the folks there to leave all your stuff in your bag which you then do and then get, it goes through and then it, nearly all of them go to the extra inspection lane which results in a queue uh, and tutting obviously not from me um because there's it's now all backed up into the scanner and they're uh, hand searching the stuff um that was hard going i must say portland international airport was extremely good we left everything in uh last week went straight through no problem at all that, that was great but the one at city airport i don't know whether it's oversensitive or whether they're just checking everything to be sure but uh, yeah it seemed hard work i must say mm. i wonder whether we'll get to the stage where we won't have to do it at all in all the airports around the uk whether one day one day that'd be nice uh next story uh from flight global this one and, and I had to look this airline up because I'd never heard of it. But anyway, uh, this is Akasa Air ordering. This is good news for Boeing, by the way, because obviously things aren't too great for them at the minute. Uh, Akasa Air orders 150 737 MAX jets. Indian carrier Akasa Air has ordered 150 Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, landing Boeing its first major commitment for the type weeks after the door plug incident. Uh, the order announced on the 18th of January at the Wings India Air Show in Hyderabad comprises of Max 10s, Max 8-200 deliveries that will run until 2032, says the low-cost operator. Airline chief Vinay Noob says the, the large order an historic large order uh, puts Akasa on the path to becoming one of the top 30 leading airlines in the world by the turn of this uh, decade. Uh, with the new commitments, Akasa order book now stands at 226 737 uh, MAX aircraft with 22 examples in its fleet. Akasa's order follows a series of deals from other Indian operators in the last 12 months. Air India signed for over 400 aircraft early in 2023, while fellow low-cost operator Indigo splashed out on more than 500 aircraft at the Paris Air Show back in June. Akasa's order does not include the MAX 9, uh, but the airline has completed a series of inspections on their fleet of MAX 8s and noted no adverse findings. Now, I had a little look who the heck are Akasa. So Akasa Air is a brand of SNV Aviation Private Limited. It's an Indian low-cost airline headquartered in Mumbai, Mashrata, in India. 
founded back in December 2021 and uh, their fleet is comprised of all Boeing aircraft, the 737 MAX 8, uh, the MAX 200 and obviously the, the uh, MAX 10s on order. So have you heard of Mandy, airline that you've heard of at all? No. no. There's there's lots of carriers out in that direction I've never really heard of. And these guys are really new, aren't they? Yeah, only been around a couple of years. Interesting not to get into the 737 MAX debacle, but an interesting order choice. Maybe they had slots on the production line they could get in. Um, but yeah, well, well, best of luck to them. Nev, heard of these uh, these guys? Uh, no. Likewise. Perhaps there's a mm. job lot of additional bolts that they need to use up. But what about the... you, Nick? I'm guessing you've not, you've not travelled with uh, a CASA? No. I, I actually, when I first saw the headline, I, I actually, my brain sort of misread it uh, as Alaska yeah, Air. Yeah, exactly the same. And I was thinking, oh, well, that they must have got a really good deal. Because um, <laughs> that was quite a big number of uh, aircraft to order. And I was thinking... Yeah, they may they must have been doing a bit of bargaining there, mm. um, but uh, yeah, and the, I actually sort of went back to try and find a story to to put it in the notes, and um, yeah, and they realised it wasn't them at all. So yeah, it's just a, another one of these airlines that none of us have heard of, that, but but are clearly very well funded because they're buying an awful lot of aeroplanes. So we've got one more story to uh, to play this week. This is uh, coming from Armando this week. And uh, he has got uh, the story at number nine on our list. It's all about uh, part 135 EASA and the, the uh, this was the, car the 208, that's it, the Cessna 208B caravan that had a, a slight issue this week. So we're going to hand things over to Armando. Hey guys, hey guys, I actually, actually only have, have one commercial story to bring you this week. Uh, I'm sure, sure the guys are doing a great job with the rest of the show and they're going to do a great job with the military. There was, there was a really unique incident that happened this week with a Southern Airways Express Cessna caravan at Washington, Dallas. Now, um, Matt is probably going to put up some pictures. Uh, maybe you see the video. There's some ATC audio of this, which is really impressive. But I want to tell you a little bit about this because it's a type of operation that I was involved in, even while I was on the show just a couple of years ago. Um, so uh, Southern, Southern Airways, Airways Express is a Part 135 carrier. That means they're uh, not at the level, level of your, your part, part 121 airlines like delta american uh, southwest things like that and they're, and they're not part, part 91 which is just private owners, owners. so they're so they are, they are, they are a charter, charter operator, operator. They, have they have a part, part 135 certificate which is scheduled air service, service. they're the highest level of part, part 135 um, um, but, but their business model, model is really mostly about essential air service, service. That, that is we've talked, talked about it on the show but essential air service is a airline that, that provides a service between a major city and a smaller town. Uh, these, these routes are, are largely subsidized by either the town, the state, the state Department of Transportation, uh, maybe a tourism board, or the, the federal government, government the, the Department of Transportation. Um, so, so it is a way of connecting smaller communities to larger communities through both business and passenger tourism, where now those uh, people, people in those smaller communities can get to a larger, larger hub airport, airport where they can catch flights out of there to the rest of the world. Um, now, now the, the uh, pilots, pilots on board, 
They're, they're it's, it's usually a two-pilot two pilot operation. operation. Um, they, they are authorized. Uh, just, uh, Southern, Southern Airways, which, which actually, actually took over. Mokulele took over Air Choice One, one just uh, over the last couple of years. But, but other, other operators, operators like Decker Air Connect, Connect um, Boutique Air, Care, if it's, it's a single-engine turboprop, and the aircraft, aircraft doesn't require type rating here in the U.S., US uh, like a Caravan or a Pilatus, those... A lot, a lot of those, those Part 135 operators are actually authorized to uh, operate with a single pilot. Now, now Air, Air Choice, not, not Air Choice, uh, Southern, Southern Airways, and, and, uh, and, some, and some of its competitors choose to use a two-pilot operation uh, out of an overabundance of safety, plus it creates a great uh, grooming ground, breeding ground for people to move from the right seat to the left seat, and then upwards up to into the regional airlines. In this particular aircraft, it was a crew of two. Um, and, uh, and then and a little, little bit about, about the airplane, the Cessna, the Cessna Caravan, you know, one, one of the most proven, capable aircraft of all time with, with a Pratt & Whitney, Whitney PT6 engine, which is one, probably the most reliable engine out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear from the investigation what exactly happened here, but the Cessna 208 Caravan, um, because we're particularly talking about a wintry day there at Washington Dulles. Um, it is equipped, this particular model and this particular aircraft was equipped with de-icing boots. So those are pneumatic boots that operate off of bleed air and they de-ice, they are capable of de-icing the leading edges of all the surfaces. The aircraft will have propeller heat. Um, it'll probably have some sort of windshield heat, uh, but most importantly, it also has an inertial separator on the, this model of PT-6. It's manually uh, operated from the cockpit of the caravan. An inertial separator, what it is, it, uh, it, 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 uh, it's called that because uh, the PT-6 engine is actually flipped uh, backwards. So the airflow goes from the back to the front, which means for air to get in there to be uh, combined with fuel, to get burned, to create the power, the air actually comes in the front, makes a 180 degree turn and goes from the back to the front of the engine. Well, an inertial separator, what it does is it, it and that, 180 degree turn, there's basically a big scoop at the bottom where if you're in icing conditions or uh, unimproved airstrips, dirt, whatever, um, it would cause anything uh, that wouldn't burn, um, like water or dirt, to fall out the bottom of the airplane before it, the air makes that 180 degree turn to go into the rest of the operation of the engine. Um, so in these kinds of conditions, they would have had uh, the propeller heat on, maybe the de-icing boots on, the inertial separator would have been open for uh, for FOD and ice to go through the vents as opposed to going into the engine. Um, now, like I said, this was a wintry day in Washington, D.C. Uh, you can hear from a, the ATC audio that um, it was a, a Washington Dulles Airport, IAD, runway 30, which is not the main runway. It's kind of an offset runway off to that points off to the west. And they took off from that runway is hard IFR conditions. So it was overcast skies with icing below freezing temperatures. Um, there was snow actually Washington Reagan airport, which is just, uh, you know, about 20 miles or so to the east of Dulles had a ground stop because of snow earlier in the day. And these aircraft are de-iced if needed. Even a Cessna caravan can go to the de-icing pad, get shut down and, uh, and get sprayed off with, with uh, de-icing fluid. Um, so, and I guarantee you these pilots are experienced in these conditions. 
they this is the operation this is the same route they do so they were going from washington dulles to lancaster pennsylvania i had a i flew a very similar route day in and day out five times a day from baltimore washington to uh johnstown pennsylvania and uh uh, so I'm sure they are they are used to the conditions. Two pilots, uh, one may be less experienced than the other one, but even even young pilots who do this day in day out are are well versed in these kinds of conditions. Um, so they would have been de-iced if the pilot deemed it necessary for the aircraft to be de-iced. Now the event itself, we don't know what happened yet, but somehow they you know they took off from runway three zero very quickly something happened it looked like a it sounded like a loss of power from the urgency in the co-pilot's voice um and they made this 90 degree turn uh i believe they only made it to about a thousand feet agl uh maybe 800 i've seen some reports the pilot not flying or the pilot monitoring made the mayday call this really really annoyed me that um, she was getting stepped on by other traffic now I understand that a mayday call is not a common thing, but um, it, it really made it difficult for the tower, they were still in the tower frequency, to understand what was going on because every time that the co-pilot was transmitting, she was getting stepped on by somebody else. Um, and she was doing all of the uh, correct actions, making the correct calls, letting them know exactly where they were going. All of this transpired in the course of about 30, 45 seconds. Um, the somehow the pilots were both uh working as a crew able to put it down on a fairly busy highway west of the airport um if you look at the pictures on on twitter and social media they missed all kinds of stuff there are some some of those giant over the highway uh road signs somehow they missed those um and they put it down on a, a four-lane highway going southbound so missed all the traffic nobody was hurt uh in fact only the airplane was hurt and from what it looks like from some of the pictures the blades are bent so you can you you we know that the engine was that the that the propeller was turning maybe not the engine but that the propeller was turning uh because those blades are bent but it was also feathered i noticed right away from the pictures uh in the Cessna caravan with this model of PT6 that is a manual function so that means that the uh, pilots either feathered it in the air if they had a loss of power or as they were shutting down the engine they feathered it but either way the uh, propeller was feathered which means that the blades were in line with the wind to um, reduce the amount of drag and extend the glide distance as usually how that ends up there everyone was evacuated from the aircraft there's no flight attendant or cabin crew on these types of aircrafts um, usually the pilots work together to, to uh, secure the passengers and um, well, another part that was really kind of unique was that the um, comms, the radio were still on and receivable even through live ATC from the ground. They were on the ground, they were shutting down, they were evacuating passengers and the co-pilot was still communicating with the, with the control tower and hopefully were able to play that out. Uh, really unique because uh, she was able to say, hey, we're down, we're safe. Um, there's uh, five individuals on board, two pilots, everybody's getting out. Oh, by the way, we are stopped by the Wendy's and the Aldi's, um, which is kind of a unique descriptor that you don't usually hear on, on aviation uh, communications. But either way, really outstanding airmanship here. A lot of people on social media are bashing this airline. But listen, this is, a, this is, a, a, this is the place where people go to 
uh, it's a rite of passage where you have to sort of cut your teeth in these kinds of operations in order to gain the experience to be able to go on to the regionals and the majors and, and, and big airplanes. Uh, most of us have been there. Uh, we've worked in part 135s, we've flown small airplanes, and uh, these two pilots appear to be the uh, masters of that aircraft, just as we talk about, you know, masters of, of larger aircraft from when we talk about successful outcomes from other mishaps. So again, from from my personal point of view, I think they did a great job of putting the airplane on the ground, getting it secured, getting the passengers. Uh, they aviated, navigated, communicated, as we all should be doing when something weird happens. Um, really great uh, outcome to this, and I can't wait to see what exactly happened uh, from this uh, from this mishap in this situation. Thanks, Armando. Yeah, I saw that on the old social media this week. That. Yeah, she's done a really good job at getting that uh, getting that in and landing where she did. Did you see the passenger um, studio? Can't yes, I? yes, I know. I have, I have, I have Mima next to me in the studio. Normally, when Matt is doing this, he's got um, Alfie barking in there. But um, yes, I've got uh, the lovely Mima here next to me. Oh, I, I think I just, uh, I'm, I'm a cat lover. You know me, cat. Lover. Yes, I know. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Keeping things aviation. Uh, now this week, well, actually yesterday, I think. This, no, it's this morning when we uh, we got uh, the message in our group chat uh, about a uh, new safety video that was uh, released. Now, I I have my thoughts on this video, and I know us as a team have our thoughts on this safety video. Uh, but I'm going to play that video for those of you watching in the world of uh, YouTube. Now I'm going to play that video and I want to see what your thoughts are on this. Bear in mind this is a safety video, okay, a safety video and this is uh, from Qantas. Here we go. Hi, I'm Louise from Qantas in Darwin and I'm a proud Wagadagum and Mudbra woman. Welcome to my magic place, Litchfield National Park. We all have a place that fills our heart and makes us feel safe. Give us your attention for the next few minutes and we'll keep you safe on this flight as we journey to the magic places of regular Aussies all around Australia and the world. Welcome to Qantas. My magic place is near Queenstown, on New Zealand's South Island. I've been coming here since I was a boy, and now I'm rated to fly here as a Qantas 737 pilot. Today, I'm flying on an Airbus H125 helicopter, and you're on a Qantas Boeing 787 Dreamliner. My name is Nestor from Qantas First Class Lounge in Sydney. Welcome to Hollywood! Fasten your seatbelt by inserting the clasp into the buckle and tighten by pulling the strap. You can undo your seatbelt by pressing the button. 
Keep it done up low and tight during takeoff, landing, and whenever the seatbelt sign is on. This includes infants and children. While seated at other times, we recommend that you keep your seatbelt fastened. The locals call this Mexico, Mexico. Anyway, um, rather than us sit here for the next five hours playing this um, safety video, um, in inverted commas, I'm going to go to our resident airline captain for your thoughts on this safety video, Andy. Now, I'm sure. How long is the actual video? Oh, it uh, the actual video is is nine minutes and thirty three seconds. Okay, the whole point of this video is, or it doesn't even have to be a video, it can just be a demonstration as we see on most airlines. It's a regulatory requirement that the captain has to ensure that everybody is briefed on the safety procedures on every single flight. How long did it take till they got to the actual seat belt? It, it, it's too long. It needs to be short, sharp, get it done, get going. It, uh, as Mizzou said, it, it has been confused as... Um, uh, it looks like a tourist video, to be honest. Um, it might tick boxes to keep management happy, but I don't like it. It's too long. Also, um, imagine if you've got a short taxi out off of the stand. Um, the thing will still be playing when you rotate the aircraft, probably. Um, this is... It's rubbish. I cannot understand uh, even the point of it. Um, in fact, actually, I've noticed a little bit more aggression from the BA cabin crews recently. The in-flight lead the other day, not on my Portland flight, but on, on the Edinburgh flight. Somebody was just reading their newspaper and she did say, would you mind putting the newspaper down during the safety briefing? And he did. And that's what it's all about. And at the end of the day, Andy, presumably, I mean, the captain is responsible for the safety of the aircraft. That's the beginning and end of it, isn't that really? Yeah. And it's obviously it's a delegation of a duty to the cabin crew because you have to, you can't do it yourself. Um, but yeah, uh, like Richard M says, just a traditional. Here's the actual bits and pieces. Do it done, and also that way they can check that everybody's actually watching them as well. Yeah. I, I mean, our U.S. listeners or um, European listeners might not get this one, but Nev, I was half expecting Judith Chalmers to come out and start presenting the holiday program yes uh, and i think that this this is the problem with the current ba one as well which is shorter but uh, i did actually see this because they are running them on the transatlantic and other long-haul sectors i think as well because they're not running it on the domestic and european sectors um but as andy says it's it's all it's the safety briefing how how difficult can it be um and i think trying to make it all flowery and sexy and make everybody relaxed i'm not sure that's what you want i think you want people to be very alert because if it all goes wrong on the runway just before v1 and people have got to get out quickly a bit like the triple seven at las vegas uh of ba then you want everybody to be fully um alert and not relaxed and it's all nice and let's just have a gin and tonic kind of thing it's my opinion anyway um but uh that th th they have just got completely the wrong end of the stick with this i'm afraid uh, but there are other safety videos which are better i think aren't they 
Yeah, we're going to uh, take a quick look at uh, this one. This is the JAL, or Japan Airlines one. Here we go. Welcome on board. Please watch this safety video and familiarize yourself with the safety instructions. All baggage must be stowed in the nearest storage. Do not place baggage in the aisle or around the exits. Fasten your seatbelt securely. Lift the buckle to unfasten the seatbelt. Keep your seatbelt fastened whenever seated in case of sudden turbulence. Smoking is strictly prohibited on this flight. Use of any electronic devices that emit radio waves is prohibited. Please turn them off or set them to airplane mode. In case of emergency, please follow our instructions. If oxygen masks appear, pull the mask toward you and place it firmly around your nose and mouth. Place the band over your head and adjust. In the unlikely event of impact, take a Well, there we go. That was a, a look at the uh, JAL safety video. Um, for those of you listening in the audio world, get yourselves over to YouTube. You'll see the video there if you've missed it. Um, a slight contrast there, guys. It's much better. It shows what to do, what the consequences are of not doing it. To the point, done. Even the cat is uh, complaining about that. Yes, even well. Mimer is complaining about the, the state yeah. of that video. But no, I'm that's... Surprised. You can see, um, you know, it, like John, uh, producer John was saying uh, during that video that uh, it sort of shows the consequences on that video of, of if you don't do those particular safety um, items. So, yeah. It's um, definitely better, I think, that one. Perhaps yes. Qantas need to take a look at that. Be interesting to hear what uh, Grant McCarran says, because obviously we'll... I'll, no doubt... One of us will get a message from Grant McCarran this week uh, about his uh, national airline. We'll find out. Yes, Mima. Okay. Uh, Nev, moving on to the next part of the show. It's the giveaway. Giving away a book. Nev, we what, what are we giving away? It's one of your books, isn't it? We're giving away. And it's uh, Private Airplane Passenger Safety by John O'Grable. And the question from the other week was, well, we all know that the Cessna 150 is one of the world's most popular training aircraft, but what year did the Cessna 150 first fly? And that's a good question, actually. I, I didn't know the answer to this, uh, but uh, let's have a look at the answer. And the answer is uh, September the 12th, 1957. Gosh. See, I thought it was, I honestly thought it was earlier than that. Mm. I don't know about you, Nev. Well, I didn't actually know the answer. So, but we have a number of correct answers, of course, uh, and we have the uh, London Biggin Hill uh, cap, which we're using this week, and I shall select at random uh, the uh, five correct answers that we have in there. So let's uh, drum roll, dish one out. 
And let's see who the lucky winner is. Ah, this is David uh, that sent his answer in via WhatsApp to you, Carlos. So oh, well done, David. Details somewhere. Um, and we shall send him a copy of that book uh, in the post. So if you can find out his details, Carlos. I will. I shall contact Let David. I'll go down the post office whilst we've still got one. Um, but moving on uh, to this week's uh, question. Now, I was lucky enough to fly with the BA boys and girls this week on their 787-8 from uh, Heathrow to Portland to our company HQ, which was great. Um, and they give you amenity, amenity kits, don't they, on these flights? Um, so business this, class, Nev. Uh, well, indeed. Well, no, some in the premium economy as well, I think, actually. Um, but I have here uh, one of the amenity kits. Um, and uh, so, oh, well, uh, don't don't give the game away, Andy, because the question may have related to what you've just shown. Um, it's all right. It wasn't on camera. So, well, it was. That's the only thing. Uh, so we did actually see it just now. Uh, you did. But, but for those uh, who... Ah, that's true. It wasn't on the output, was it? So that was full. Oh, we're good. We're good. <laughs> Carry so on the <laughs> So well, we've got away with it. So the question is, which firm ex supplies exclusively British Airways with their amenity, amenity kits in Club World? Which firm supplies exclusively British Airways with their amenity kits in Club World? And here is one. And it contains quite a lot of stuff. Um, a nice pair of socks, Ooh, a pair nice. of uh, goggles, uh, sorry, um, eye patches and what have you, uh, toothbrushes, oh. all sorts of things, toothpaste in there. Um, quite a lot of stuff, actually. So um, I shall be... Uh, I've, they're not used, by the way, before anyone asks. Um, so I shall zip it up and then post it off to whoever wins this competition for next week and the, yeah. so the question once again is which firm uh, exclusively provides uh, these amenity kits to british airways there you go there we go well done and uh, obviously uh, i shall be in touch with uh, david uh, about uh, his book get that off to you as soon as possible but uh, nice little prize there nev that is. Yes, I'll need a bigger jiffy bag to put them in. But yeah, <laughs> we can, we can manage that. I must admit, Nev, I, uh, I'm, I'm a, 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 well, a fiend for this because Gemma's always having a go at me. I have a drawer at home that's full of these amenity kits because yeah. I've been lucky, obviously, like you've been lucky to travel in premium and business class as well on various airlines. I've got a few of those hanging around in the drawers at home, but um, perhaps I need to give some away. Um, okay. Anyway, moving on to the next part of the show uh, which is the military segment and uh, this week uh, we've got a good uh, splattering of military stories this week on the show uh, so i know nev's ready for me to hit that button so nev are you ready oh barely yes here we go You're on, Nick. Oh, okay, well, 
um, as as you know, I like to uh, I like to go trawling the internet for uh, for interesting stories for the show. And um, yeah, there was one that really stood out for me this week because it involved airplanes and cakes, which are uh, two of my favourite things. So um, yeah, so this one is from uh, atlasobscura.com. Um, and the, the headline is Exploding Chocolate Tea Cakes. So when Tony Canane joined the Royal Air Force in 1953, chocolate tea cakes were all the rage. Employees aboard strategic nuclear strike aircraft requested the snack to be added to their in-flight ration boxes. But this wasn't just a sugary jolt to fuel their Cold War training. The chocolate-coated marshmallow tea cakes had become, as Cullen described it, the subject of some rather unscientific in-flight experiments. Shortly after the foil-wrapped treats appeared in RAF ration packs, pilots began to notice that as altitude increased, the tea cakes expanded. At 15,000 feet, the marshmallow interior cracked the chocolate shell. Uh, air crews removed the tea cakes from their silver foil packaging and perched them around the cabin for observation. The aerated marshmallow continued to swell as pressure changed and the sweets became too big to eat in one bite. And many noted that despite the extreme physical effects, the expansion didn't compromise the taste, which is very important. Uh, but the expanding tea cakes fame was short-lived after a period of marshmallow fever aboard the V-bombers departing from Gaydon Air Base. An explosion put a stop to the fun. During the summer of 1965, a captain and student pilot forgot they had placed the unwrapped tea cakes above their instrument panels. And when the captain pulled an emergency depressurizing switch during a training mission, the treats erupted. Shards of chocolate and marshmallow hit the windshield, flight controls and men's uniforms. As shortly thereafter, the RAF put marshmallows on their no-fly list. And decades later, the Telegraph recounted the incident with an article entitled Deadly Tea Cakes. Thankfully, no lives were lost in the explosion. Sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, peanuts, yeah, as in packets of peanuts expanding in flight, but um, tea cakes. (laughs) Kind of want to try it now. (laughs) I'm going to have to take a packet of tea cakes with me when I go on holiday next now. You can imagine the mess, though, can't you? Mm. I mean, those those tea cakes are quite sticky, you know, at the best of times. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine that was a bit of a uh, bit of a laundry moment there for all involved. You get tea cakes in business class, Nev. Um. Yes, I think you might do actually in, in on certain flights. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Andy, a, a problem you have on the flight deck of uh, the A320 you fly? Um I've I've never tried it with a tea kick, to be honest. I mean the cabin pressure only goes up to what eight thousand feet. I might take one next time I go flying though and see what happens. <laughs> I'll put a few in the uh, cargo hold, Andy. Yeah. It's not yeah. Just to uh, to upset the passengers when they get the other end and find their uh, suitcases are slightly sticky. Ugh. Ugh, I know. Be a waste <laughs> of tea cakes. It would. Uh, next story. And uh, this one is uh, from the forces.net. Nice story, this one. Uh, active US uh, Air Force pilot, uh, Nev. What's uh, she been up to? 
Well, it, yes, it is a nice story, but I find it an awkward story to read for, for reasons which will become obvious very shortly. But uh, uh, we don't usually cover this kind of thing, but it's on the forces.net. Uh, and it says that um, active duty U.S. Air Force F-16 pilot makes history after being crowned Miss America. A second lieutenant in the U.S. Air Force has made history by becoming the first active duty U.S. Air Force officer to be crowned Miss America. F-16 pilot Madison Marsh won the title of Miss America at a ceremony in Orlando, Florida. Second Lieutenant Marsh, who's a 2023 graduate of the US Air Force Academy with a degree in physics, represented the state of Colorado. Congratulations to our very own airman, Odd, the US Air Force tweeted after she clinched the crown. Uh, during her time at the academy, uh, Marsh passed out as an officer and was selected to be a pilot. Uh, the pageant queen learnt to become a pilot when she was just 16 years old, and she used this experience uh, in the talent round of the pageant as she presented a spoken word piece on receiving her licence at such a young age. She is currently p uh, pursuing her master's in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, following her mother's death in 2018 from pancreatic cancer, uh, Marsh turned her efforts to cancer research, founding the Whitney Marsh Foundation and raising more than $250,000 for cancer research. As a graduate intern at the Harvard Medical School, she used artificial intelligence to detect pancreatic cancer. Uh, Marsh told the Harvard Crimson that uh, pageantry uh, uh, really relates to the military a lot because you're serving but in a different way. When I put on my uniform, I serve and I represent our country, she explained. When I put on the crown and sash, I am serving, representing my community. Uh, the US Air Force pilot credits her achievements to her time in the US Air Force. I don't think I would have ever have become Miss Colorado without the Air Force Academy because they have trained me and honed in on my leadership, she told the Harvard Crimson. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but there's a lot of stuff which I find odd, I have to say, as well. Um, and so it's better for me not to comment on it. That's what you went... That's how you got to where you are, Andy. You went from uh, uh, Mr. Universe, didn't you, Andy, to uh, pilot? <laughs> oh, look at me. Like I've ever spent a day in the gym. Don't be so daft. How did the medical go, Andy, recently? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that, eh? <laughs> But I will say, I will say one thing, Andy, for the benefit of uh, those who might be listening to the audio podcast, the, the beard is going well, Andy. Yeah, it's going very grey as well, and it start getting some of that got, uh, yes. just two thousand, just just for me. If you, if you go two thousand, if you go back a, a, a sort of about, about thirty or so episodes of PTUK and look at the the first time Andy came on the uh, podcast, you'll you'll see what we mean. Thirty episodes. Oh, it's well. It's, it's, it's probably more twenty seventeen was the first time. Yeah. Episode. Oh, it's a few few episodes ago. A very long time ago. <laughs> anyway, Andy, you've got uh, you got the next story. Yeah. So this one uh, is a flashlight or a torch to those of us in this country. Uh, damages fourteen million dollar F thirty five fighter engine beyond repair. Uh, a flashlight is responsible for causing this damage, I've just read that bit, at Luke Air Force Base in Glendale. A report by the Air Force Aircraft Accident Investigation Board showed the incident happened on March the 15th, 2023, when the jet was undergoing some maintenance work. The report states a three-member maintenance team removed a panel and inserted a metering plug into an engine fuel line. They prepared the aircraft for an engine run to test the installed metering plug for fuel leaks. 
The engine run was complete with no visual indications that would indicate an abnormal engine run. The damage was found after the engine was shut down following the test. The Air Force says that each member of the maintenance team was current and qualified to accomplish all the tasks. The board president found by a preponderance of the evidence that a handheld flashlight caused damage to the aircraft. An incomplete tool inventory kit and failure to complete the joint service technical data guidance prior to engine start resulted in the damage. And there's a couple of excerpts from the uh, incident here, uh, the incident report. Uh, the mishap aircraft ingested a flashlight or foreign object during a maintenance ground run. No individuals were injured during the mishap and the engine estimated damage is $3,933,106. Wow. Uh, that the mishap was caused by uh, MM1 not executing a complete inlet inspection and failing to conduct a toolkit inventory prior to engine run operations. Now, they also failed to clear the inlet of foreign objects after completing the required inspections for an engine run after the exec exited the aircraft inlet and they failed to complete other checklists that resulted in the flashlight being left inside the inlet and it was ingested into the engine during the run causing damage wow that's a lot of damage yeah do you have any trouble ever andy with with uh, passengers throwing coins in the engines of your aircraft before they uh, no, because no. that's more of a um, a Chinese tradition, a sort of a lucky Chinese tradition throwing money into aircraft engines. I have no idea why, but fortunately not. No, we don't have those issues, <laughs> thankfully. And also, if you imagine this, if this was a mag light or you know, other flashlights are available, these are very substantial things, mm. aren't they? The damage that you can do, well, we've just seen how much it's cost. But uh, phenomenal amount of damage there. Uh, very nasty indeed. Yeah, I actually yeah. read the uh, report, and I think it passed through something like four of the compressor stages. Ow. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, Ow. pretty comprehensive. That's, so, yeah, yeah, I think that basically the engine was completely trashed by I all, mean, how all the hell do you pass that through the insurance company, Nev? You know, why you why do you need a new engine? Well, we trashed it. Oh, how'd that happen? You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, what's your insurance premium going to pay out? Yes. Well, there's, you know... <laughs> There's uh, lessons to be learned from every aviation incident, no matter what it is. Well, I'd imagine so. someone got told off. Yeah, at minimum. Yeah. 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 Uh, next story comes from uh, stripes.com. Interesting website. Uh, serious story, this one, though. This is uh, all about a story we covered a few weeks ago, actually, on the show. Uh, fallen Osprey Pilots family raising scholarship funds. Uh, or fund by Jonathan Schneider, a Stars and Stripes. Uh, Jeffrey Horneman, 32 of Andover, was a CV-22 instructor pilot and officer in charge of training in the U.S. Air Force. The parents of Major Jeff Horneman and a U.S. Air Force pilot who tragically died uh, in a CV-22 Osprey crash off Japan have initiated a GoFundMe campaign to establish a scholarship in his memory. Major Horneman, remembered for his positive impact on others, served as an instructor pilot and weapons tactics chief at Yukata Air Force Base. Uh, the campaign aims to honour his legacy by supporting future aviators and educators reflecting on the profound effect he had on his peers and loved ones. A respected serviceman, Horneman's commendations include the uh, Metro... Met uh, meritorious uh, service medal the air medal uh, with C device among others 
His family, echoing his nurturing spirit, aims to continue his contributions to the Air Force community and beyond. In addition to his parents, he leaves behind his wife, uh, Jess Bozer, brother Jared Honeman, and grandparents Ray and Ardell Honeman, according to his obituary. During his career, he was recognised with uh, Meteoris Service Medal and Air Medal, uh, Aerial Achievement Medal, Air and Space Commendation Medal with Oakleaf Cluster, Air and Space Achievement Medal, uh, Metorius Unit Award Combat Readiness Medal with Oakleaf Cluster, National Defence Service Medal, uh, Afghanistan Campaign Medal with Bronze Star and Global War uh, on Terrorism Service Medal, according to his obituary. Wow, this guy certainly um, definitely had a few medals, bless him. But um, what a great idea, setting up a uh, scholarship in his name, though, to uh, to help sort of young and upcoming aviators. What a great idea, I think that is. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. So, military segment, bringing that to a close now. Thanks uh, for putting those stories in this week. And uh, so we've got no Nev's terminal tantrum, have we? Because everything was all hunky-dory on yeah, your flights this week, <laughs> uh, which is a shame. But um, what have you got planned for uh, future flights coming up soon? Everything right. exciting? Well, what have we got? So next week uh, on Sunday, I'm flying to Barcelona uh, for uh, five, six days. In fact, um, no, five days. Isn't that coming back on Friday? So I shan't be on the show next week because it's our annual large exhibition that we do and they moved it from Amsterdam to Barcelona which means it's warmer and we like that because it's previously was like plus two degrees with some horrible uh, wind chill but uh, I've just checked the forecast for Barcelona next week and it is 16 degrees and sunny the whole Ooh. time which we are pleased about I have to say um, now these events are very hard work as you can imagine uh, a bit of socializing but it's all you know, work, work, work. We're on the exhibition booth from Tuesday through to Friday. A uh, bit of networking, a bit bit more to drink possibly as well. So it's hard work, as you can imagine. But I, I'm up for the challenge. I'm up for the challenge. Um, but unfortunately, because I put on £4 from my Portland trip uh, last that week. free, Nev? Well, no, just the general food, really. So I've had to be very cautious with my eating this week and no drinking either. Uh, before we're back on it again on Sunday evening. Uh, now, we've got a couple of other things to talk about as well. Um, we will have a 500th show announcement quite soon. We haven't quite put all the logistics together for that yet, but we will do very shortly, and we'll let you know. Uh, but, of course, uh, we have the uh, drone conference and the uh, air mobility conference coming up uh, at the RDS in Dublin uh, on the 1st and 2nd of uh, March. So uh, the whole team are going out there. Uh, myself, uh, Carlos, Matt, um, and Mr. Uh, Matt of the eight three twenty varieties going to make yeah, an appearance as well. As well yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to be doing is doing our usual sort of interviews and, and all, all the rest of it there. But on the Saturday, which is March the second, uh, we're going to see if we can have a bit of a listener meetup. Um, and we're staying at the Clayton Hotel, which is in Ballsbridge in Dublin, just next to the RDS, which is the exhibition centre there, the Royal Dublin Showground. Um, and so if any listeners would like to join us at the hotel, we'll put some uh, 
uh, stuff up on social media soon. We've got it all worked out. But that's what we're planning at the moment. So if people would like to come along and join us for some drinks and perhaps something to eat as well, uh, we will be around at the Clayton Hotel, which is right next to the RDS in Ballsbridge in Dublin. So we're all flying in there on the Thursday, aren't we? Is, is that right? Yes, Thursday. That, yeah. right? that is Thursday yes. we're flying. Because no, yeah. the, the show is Friday and Saturday, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's it. Yes. Um, and, of course, drones is, is not a big subject that we've covered on the show previously. So I'm looking forward to learning a, a lot more about this mm. and air mobility and the sort of thing that Neil Cluffley at Faraday has been talking about for, for many years as well, you know, regional operations of different kinds of aircraft. So it's going to be a fascinating insight. I think we're going to learn an awful lot uh, over the two days that we're there. So I'm really looking forward to going. Um, and then we shall be putting that out as various segments uh, on the shows that follow. But uh, that is the plan at the moment, anyway. Yeah, there's going to be some great people there at the exhibition. Um, there's going to be Avtrain. Some of you might have heard of Avtrain. Uh, also, Descent, Cybersecurity are going to be there. And also, uh, Drone Space Limited are going to be there uh, with a stand as well. So we're going to hopefully be talking to some of those guys. Uh, there's quite a few exhibitors uh, going to be at that show, as well as uh, some keynote speakers as well, isn't there? There's quite a few uh, keynote speakers going to be at that event as well. Hopefully, we'll be catching up with uh, some of them as well to chat about uh, their roles within uh, the sort of UAV unmanned aerial vehicle uh, vehicle kind of thing but it's it kind of security as well isn't it it's sort of touching on cyber security as well within uh, it's, that it's thing. covering an awful lot actually yeah. we, we, I think it's going to be extremely interesting and um, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I must say so um, yeah the plan is we're flying out on oh dear I haven't got the exact details in front of me but I'm sure that the um, the show itself is, is it the first and yeah first and second it is first and yeah, second, first and second Friday and Saturday uh, yeah. of, of uh, first and second of March so on the second of March uh, we'll we'll try and do a meet up at the Clayton Hotel in the evening and then we're all flying back on the Sunday yes so we that's, are. that's yeah. the plan so uh, yeah we'll stick it on the socials when we've got it all firmed up but if you're listening to this uh, if you'd like to join us send us an email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com so it's going to just going to be a small meetup, but if everyone is around that would like to join us for a drink, you are most welcome. Yes, we've already had uh, one person, haven't we, uh, Nev, who's uh, interested in coming and meeting us, so it would be lovely to, to meet them. But, yeah, we'd love to hear from you if you're going to be uh, that in that neck of the woods when, mm. uh, when we're there, so it'd be great to see you. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Nev. Can't wait. Yes. Going to be good. Going to be, nice. be good. Do something uh, different. Something. I, uh, I'm off to uh, Geneva uh, the beginning of February, which I'm looking forward to very much. You'd be pleased to know, Nev. Obviously, I'm flying BA, um, albeit in seat three A. Oh, um, I couldn't get. I did. I did. I did try. You know, I did try to get one A, but couldn't get one A. So I got three A instead. So three uh, A and C. We're going to be uh, on uh, to Geneva. Oh, but, so you're taking uh, Mrs. Stebbing. Yes, with you as well, yes, I'm taking oh. Gemma along well with me as well. Uh, she's going to be joining. I'm going to be. Uh, introducing her into the uh, the realms of business class travel with BA Nev. So uh, we're going to be now, lounge visit. Excellent, very good. Now I hope you've got plenty of euros with you because um, sorry, Swiss francs. Swiss probably. francs. Yes. Sorry, uh, because um, Geneva is a beautiful city, but it's not the cheapest. <laughs> 
for hotels <laughs> and eating, let me tell you. But the, that does not normally stop you, so I'm sure you'll have a no, great... No, it won't. I, I, we're very lucky, um, as, as us, all the team here on PTUK, we're very lucky to have friends such as Paul Papadimitri from the Layovers podcast because it's kind of Paul's second home. So I've had a, I've had a very good lengthy chat with Paul and he's putting together a, a little kind of um, go-to uh, list of stuff to go to while I'm in Geneva so I'm looking forward to that as well but uh, it's gonna be great but uh, actually Nev going back to Dublin mm. you know I'm flying uh, uh, Ryanair out there <clears throat> uh, yes. yes that airline that you're yet to travel on I'm flying in seat 1A really well I'm surprised about that yeah seat 1A I shall be with Ryanair yes <laughs> well Good luck with that. That's all I can thank say. Thank you. Thank you, Ned. And um, I'm sure it'll be memorable. It'll for be you. good. It'll be good. Andy, any chance of you joining us out in uh, in uh, Dublin, or are you going to be uh, sunning yourself in the Bahamas? Dublin? Uh, you're there on March the 1st, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I will be in Milan. Oh. Which will be nice. Yeah. I'm, and uh, warm, too. Yes, and, well, <laughs> probably a little bit warmer. I'm in the yeah. simulator there that week doing more testing. Um, so yeah, unfortunately not. And what you got? Uh, anything exciting planned for the next uh, week, then, Andy? Next Are week, you flying? Nope, I'm, nope. I'm just oh. working from home, cracking on, getting things done, ready for the uh, the summer semester of training. Oh, exciting! I'm surprised. I am surprised, busy. Andy. You've not built yourself a home sim. No. no. <laughs> I've got a wife and a daughter. Do you think there's any chance of me being allowed to take over any more of the house to build a simulator? Oh, true. Yeah, true. <sighs> I'll just keep my pub. I'm happy with the pub. He's got a I'm pub. Ha exactly. He, he's... I'm happy with my playroom here. Look, I've got all my toys over there. I've got my guitars and stuff, so I'm happy. Oh. Uh, Captain Cruz has just put a message on, on the screen for you, Carlos. Um, and uh, apparently 1A on Ryanair is not uh, optimal. Oh. Uh, he says uh, it's right by the entry door, so it's a bit like the Gatwick versions of the um, uh, BA A320s. Uh, it's a poor seat, he says, and you're in the way of everyone and everything during the boarding. Oh well, there you are. Well, it's one A. I'm halfway. I'm halfway there. I'm halfway there. To, to luxury. There you go. There you go. Nick, what's going on in the world of Nick next week? Any, any motorcycling? I expect it's warmed up a bit now, so it's not too it cold. Is, it, it's getting better, and we're getting a bit more daylight in the evening, so that's good, yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, might be getting the bike out of the garage again soon. But, uh, no, it's uh, just busy with work at the moment, really. It's kind of, um, yeah, it'd be nice to get winter out of the way, wouldn't it, I think? Now, you've yeah. not been too long in your job, have you, uh, Nick? You've got a relatively new job. I know you've been there for a little while now, but you, are you enjoying it, what you're doing? Um, I do I, I do enjoy what I do. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a, a, a design engineer. I, I design and develop new products. Um, yeah, which is something I enjoy tremendously, actually. But, um, yeah. Although I, I must admit... with a hand with some of the <laughs> door designs you can get your, your your revit out and your you know your 3d rendering and all that business absolutely yeah yeah i, I could sort that out in no no time at all uh, make sure the um make sure the uh the, the safety pins are all installed <laughs> but um yeah it's um i think I've, I've been in this particular job about uh eight or nine months now but um yeah i must admit i do 
probably uh i think it's fair to say i do enjoy doing doing the show notes probably a little bit more oh. so uh, yeah that's good so before thank we start you for doing that well we, we could not do it without you it's uh it's a big task, and uh, yeah, because yes. we are often quite late home from work as well. So uh, thank you very much for continuing to do that. No, it's a pleasure. It's good, and uh, you know, I think um, I think we all, as a, as a team, we all enjoy doing it, and we all enjoy the the contribution from our our listeners. So thank you to our listeners as well. You know, it, it's um, it, one of the fun things about it is having such a good community of listeners. Um, mm -hmm. And on that subject, actually, we should say that uh, you know if any of you do have any emails or feedback or anything that you want to write into the show we're always really happy to to incorporate that in the show so yeah do do please feel free to get in touch with us very true very true and i think we'll probably all end up sitting down together not in the not too distant future guys and planning the air shows that we're going to be attending uh, this year because i know that they released the um the calendar uh, for this year 2024's air show so i think we'll sit down and probably arrange and see what ones we're going to attend this year because i think um, mm. with my social calendar a bit more flexible at weekends um that i'll definitely be able to attend more than uh, we did last year which will be nice yeah brilliant i'm looking forward to it so i'm going to wrap up the show nev for the benefit of those people who may not know or they should know where can they uh, ping emails and pictures and everything to us? Ah, yes. Well, so firstly, we're on the, all the socials, obviously. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, just so search uh, those platforms for Plain Talking UK and you'll find us there. Uh, we've got a WhatsApp number which we use so you can send in comments and your pictures as well. It's plus 44 757 That's plus 44 757 uh, The email for the show is podcast at com, and that's where you need to send your answers to for the competition uh, which was uh, which firm produces these amenity kits uh, exclusively for British Airways in the club world section uh, so yes yeah, send that to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com then we've got our website www.plaintalkinguk.com and of course we're on YouTube as well so just search for uh, um, Plain Talking UK on YouTube and on all the um, website you'll be able to see all the information about how you can become a Patreon of the podcast so that helps us with the the media hosting costs the media serving costs the website costs all that kind of stuff um and uh so yeah find out all the information there and thank you to all of our people that contribute via patreon and via paypal as well yes thank you to one and all you all help uh, push a show along each week and enable us to do what we do which we enjoy doing it's good so that's where we are going to bring uh, episode 487 to a close. I'm going to say a big, big, big thank you to all the chat room tonight for joining us in there. Uh, great to see all the uh, faces in the chat room uh, that have been in there tonight. And uh, yeah, big thanks to everyone for tuning in. Also, not forgetting everyone who listens to the show as an audio podcast, because you know an awful lot of our listeners do listen to the show as an audio podcast. Thank you all for downloading the show each week and supporting um, us as a team. Uh, I'll be back next uh, week. Nev, are you back with us next week? No, you're off 
Are you uh, no, I shall be in the Spanish oh, region, you're in, Yes, you are. Uh, in Barcelona. So I shall be there uh, next week. Uh, whilst the show's on, I shall be entertaining customers and having oh, a glass of wine. Oh. I hope you, you know, feel sorry for me. I'm going to have a glass of wine next week on the show. Yes, yeah, very good. So, that. yes, I shan't be with you next week, but I will be the week after. Excellent. And uh, thanks, Andy, for joining us tonight. Appreciate you uh, coming on the show as always. Pleasure, as always. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Good to see you. Have a good weekend. And uh, yeah, Nick, good. thanks for all your hard work and thanks for coming on the show as well this evening. Good to see you on. Pleasure. Good to be here. Good, good. And also big thanks to John as well, producer John, uh, the voice in our ear, who's uh, been uh, pushing the various buttons this evening for me remotely. He's good like that. He's, he's like a ghost sort of floats around the studio here pressing the buttons anyway that's it for the show take care everyone have a great weekend whatever you're up to stay safe stay warm and uh say goodbye nev yes everybody hope you have a great rest of the week and weekend as well all the best and bye for now